Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you, as always, from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We're going to focus a lot on football this week, from high school to college to the pros, plus we have the Minnesota Twins straight in our vision as well. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to the ramblings about Minnesota sports. Welcome both to those of you who tuned in previous weeks and to those of you checking things out for the very first time. I hope you'll enjoy your stay and will want to come back each and every Wednesday. If you have thoughts and comments, if you might want to be a guest, you can email me waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles syrup optional. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for the week. This week, I talked to Mark Kruger, head football coach at NRHEG, about the background information that it takes to be a coach, the things that most of us never see. Stick around. Thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms for sponsoring the program this week. Uh, we've been looking at agriculture at times over the summer, thanks to the Wayne Farms initiative. And uh, this time we want to talk about it's a little ways off yet. But when the harvest season rolls around in another month, month and a half or so, just to keep our eyes out on the road, to be patient for our farmers. They got the big machinery, doesn't always go as fast as we might like, and sometimes takes up quite a bit of the road. But always, you know, I know a lot of those guys really try to take back roads when they can, but occasionally they need to be out on the more traveled highways. But please be cautious and safe. Respect our farmers when they're out in the fields and all the hard work that they do in order to bring us all the wonderful things we have in our life, especially at the dinner table. Thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms. Please support our farmers. Joining the program this week on 365sportscast.com, I have New Richland, Harlan, Ellendale, Geneva, head football coach Mark Kruger. Mark, thanks for joining the program. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, Mark has been here. This is his fifth year now as the head coach at NRHEG. And I want to start kind of at the end, and I'm going to come back to the beginning because that makes sense in my mind at the end of a season mark when you get to the end of the season whatever that falls how long is it before you start working toward your next season uh usually one day one day okay. um, sometimes depending on the year it might be the bus ride home if it's been a tough year it might be that bus ride home i'm starting to think all right now next season what does this off season have to look like what does next season have to look like what are we losing what do i what do i you know what am i bringing in right so yeah because I, I would what I think people don't always understand is when you are a varsity coach of any extracurricular activity, it's not like you show up on day one of practice and here we go. You're working throughout the off season from, from November till August. It's full time. It's probably, I mean, if you ask my fiance, she'd say I probably think about football uh, <laughs> at least for one minute of every hour of every day. At least, at least. Yeah. So don't ever figure out your hourly, hourly <laughs> salary on that. Uh, that'd be depressing. So, you're, you're putting that all through through the process, but there's not a lot you can do. There's nothing you can really do with your team except weight room type suggestions and stuff, but you have meetings with some of these guys after the season and stuff. Yeah, so you know, when the season ends, it's exit interviews, um, it's team inter, it's a team kind of communication on what's off season look like, and then it's you know, conversation with coaches on what worked, what didn't work, and what are we gonna look for for the next and then we turn around and then it turns into our off-season workout with the team and then it's um, for the coaches, it's all the clinics and 
going all over the state and trying to learn different ways and how are other teams getting better and how can we get better. Right. And, and it's, you mentioned, you know, who are you losing from year to year? Who's coming in? And so then you're making adjustments, sometimes maybe even wholesale to how you're going to run an offense, how you're going to run a defense based on who you have this year. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you, you know, if you've got one type of stud, you're going to change your offense to fit that stud. And then, you know, when he leaves, that offense might have to change because if you have a whole new group or whatever it comes out to, you know, in my five years, it's you know, I think our offense could be different every five years. You know, if, especially just a bystander, if you watched, you might think we have a whole new offense every single year. Okay, and because you might you have some base formations and everything, and you have some some plays that you rely on all the time and and strategies, but like you say, you're going to mix it up. I think of. I've been watching football, high school football for a long time, and there are teams that would come in year after year and it was the same formations all the time. They, didn't, they weren't fooling you, and yet they were still successful. That's harder to do today, though. I think it's much harder to do today to not only have your players buy in. We talk about that, especially some of the teams we play that have run the same offense for 20 years, to have your players buy in year in, year out, to run the same thing over and over again. And then there's also the flip side of, do you just go with whatever's flashy? Is that worth it? Or is it better to do what you know what works? Right. So you look, for example, down the road to Blooming Prairie, who's had extended success for a couple decades now, and Coach Chad Gimble, and you know the spread formation and everything else, they throw a lot at you. And they're starting that in junior high. They have kids running these types of things. Um, and that's probably part of the process, too, even working with your junior high coaches to get some of the elements of what you're probably going to be running yeah, the biggest so you know what I do is I take our varsity playbook and then I um, cut it down to the bare bones of what it can be, and that's what our junior high does. So it's they're using a lot of the same um, verbiage, a lot of the same formations, and a lot of the same plays, just less of what we do. So as they just get older, it's just adding to what they have. Right. Like our, our biggest plays, our best hitters, we're trying to run with our junior high kids too, so that you know at seventh grade they know how to run whatever play it is that I know I want to run in three years, four years with them. Yeah. And there's only so much they can handle at that point anyway before it becomes too overwhelming. Right. Yes, yeah, so it has to be a little bit more simplified for that group. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of been talk over the last number of years about preparing kids even for junior high. And some people, some areas have gone away from the, you know, contact as much prior to 6th and 7th grade. But I know we have guys playing up in Otana and stuff too. Is there a right way to do this to get kids ready? I don't think there's a right way. I think it really depends on the kid, especially at that age. When you look at, if you just take a fifth grader, there's some fifth graders that probably could play with eighth graders. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's some fifth graders that they won't be able to play with eighth graders till they're a junior in high school. Right. So it's it really depends on the kid and the family. So I think, you know, if you think your kid is ready to play football and you want to do it, do it. If you're if you're hesitant on it, then it might be better to try to wait for a little bit you know, and you know, our, if you look at our school, it's our fifth and sixth graders will play tackle football with Owatonna leagues. Our third and fourth, they wear pads. Technically, it's tackle football, but it's not quite the same. Um, definitely not the same level of hitting as they go up. And then um, almost every school, seventh and eighth grade, it turns out, and it's pretty much tackle football yeah, right now. Yeah, it's, it's uh, lace them up, and, and here we go okay. by seventh grade. Uh, when you get to summer then and you have some more contact with your players, what does that program look like? We, so our summer always starts with what's called seven on seven, and that's essentially touch football. They take the offensive line out, take the defensive line out, take the tackling out, and really it's just passing. Okay. So it's working on getting our formations down and really getting our quarterback and wide receiver the timing down. Okay. And we do that really all of June. And that's, um, I kind of, especially our school, I leave it at that. 
and that's when like basketball and wrestling kind of they use June as their main time so I try to leave June alone as much as I can I think we have five days in June that we do anything okay all right yeah and it is hard it's so hard to balance summer when I was growing up summer was baseball and maybe an open gym for basketball and that was it and now yeah all the sports once they opened it up to coaches having contact well and you have to if yeah. you don't and you're not successful well yeah. and if you're not working some you know the other team is you know the team you're going to play week one they're probably doing something over the summer and if you're not you're gonna be able to tell that on week one right right uh you guys have been going up to bemidji in the summer too what led you to that what's what's great about that uh my connection there is the school i was at before deer river they go up there so it's kind of i knew it was a nice camp and then it's for us it's really nice it's a five six hour drive so it's kind of a chore to get up there but when we're up there we don't play any teams we'd see so it's you don't have to worry about someone figuring out your new wrinkle on offense because <laughs> no one's gonna have an idea you know all the teams we play up there are from way up north we wouldn't see them until the state tournament if we would and then I just, the coaching staff at Bemidji State, I really respect. They run a great camp, and they're, um, they're building a really great program up there. And sometimes hearing some of the same things you might teach yeah. from different voice just yeah. has a different impact. And that, that's really, you know, we'll have it, you know, we'll have our team meeting after that camp, and it's almost every time someone says, well, they were having us do it like you do it. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> but I guess you had, had to have that Division two coach tell you, too, and now you realize I do know what I'm talking about when I'm right. you know, trying to tell you how to do something. Right. And it gives your players exposure to what college coaches are expecting for the potential that you have some guys who yeah. might go on and play at the next level. Yeah. And being at that camp, they do different combines, and they'll, they'll coaches always they'll either ask me what players I think can play or they'll kind of look at our team as we practice or play and you know, point out different players and ask more about them just getting good exposure for them right which is fantastic so now you get to august um you have a little time off between that kind of that resting recuperation and and here we go but when you're sitting down with your coaching staff to plan out like the first couple of weeks the preseason the practice when are you starting to do that when are you are you, are you the type that goes we're going to go here's minute by minute or just here's the general concepts of what we're doing our practice plan goes by five minute increments so every five minutes i know what we're doing and that might be we do something for 15 minutes so i have it down for three of the slots but however it goes so i try to i don't want to do anything for too long and it's you know we kind of have a formula on how stuff works we like to install all our plays at first so it's that first week when you can't have too much contact that's when we stand out stand around the most and talk about how a play goes and we just start to add to it as we go and then um, start to add more, start to add special teams, all that stuff as we okay. go through. Because they, things have changed a lot even since you played football in high school where you oh, yeah. probably went through two-a-days all the time. Uh, it was hot, it didn't matter. You guys were out there. Now there's a lot of things in place for the safety of the players. Yeah, uh, there's, there's so many rules to follow. I have to keep up with it every summer. That's, I mean, that's part of the job too is to read how the rules have changed, what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do. Uh, there's, I mean, five levels of contact we're allowed for practice. Oh, so like wow. right now we're on level two, I think. So it kind of depends on like how hard you can hit, if you can tackle the ground, if it's thud, if you can use pads or not. Um, and then two-a-days have gone away. You can do right. every other day. So uh, we do two-a-days twice, and the other three days of the week is just one practice. Okay. I used to, when I was in college, we had three-a-days. Oh, and now we're down to <laughs> every other day, two-a-days in high school. And I... You know, I was not in the realm, but I do know my head coach in high school, he coached when they would say, you're not allowed to have water, you didn't work hard enough. So yeah, there was, right. I mean, that's not that long ago to the point we are right now with how, how much things have changed. Yeah, and it, it could be 90 degrees out as it often is in August. I um, mean, you guys do more in the morning too, just to, yeah. you know, it's, it's a fresh time and it's not 
Yeah, we, we do. We like to go in the morning. Another thing, we have so many kids that work. They work full-time jobs that they'll come. We'll practice. They're out of here by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. They go to their job. And then our two-a-day day, they come back at 6.30, have another football practice, go home, go to bed, and then do it all again the next day. <laughs> and that's another thing that's changed, too. You know, we had jobs in high school, um, but when, when the season started, like a lot of us just worked weekends or yeah. whatever, but now kids are, you know, it's a very different world yeah. uh, today. And so the evening is more of the second practice. They have a lot of downtime instead of the just to have lunch and come back out there. Yeah, and even a lot of times it's just a helmet. It's um, usually a lot of walkthrough stuff, but just taking advantage of, you know, I get X amount of hours a week, I want to use it. And it's, we really set it up our first two weeks of practice with our two-a-days. We basically have three weeks worth of practice in that okay. time. Okay. So I think that makes a big, that's a big edge for us is in two weeks, we're three weeks. We're okay. at the point of being three weeks All in. Right. We've got Mark Kruger, head coach of the NRHEG football team. We're talking about preparation for coaches, something people don't think about a whole lot. Um, when you know you talked about having to keep up with the rules and there's things that the minnesota state high school league requires you watch the videos and you take the tests and everything um but the things that you gain at these clinics that you go to as well how many of these do you try to attend in the off season i do at least three clinics a year so i you know it's ranges from like hamlin university has a one-day clinic that you're there um a couple sessions have lunch one more session and go home to we do the our coaches put on one and then Glacier is a big um, nationwide organization, and both of those are three-day clinics. So you're okay. staying at the hotel, and it's, you know, it's a, um, sometimes, you know, it, it's set up so like you're up there with your coaches, so we have our hotel room, we go to our, you know, go to your meetings, learn different things, and come back together, share what we think, share how you think it would work or why it doesn't work, and, you know, sometimes it's a dud, sometimes, you know, being from Minnesota, you know, I can think of going to a Georgia high school when he was talking about their all their um, off-season prep because they get their guys for two hours a day every three days and they have I don't know, 75 seniors that play football oh and wow it just sometimes it's like well that, that doesn't apply to anything no. trying to do no. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's you know there's some other great ones and it's you know i i look at it as everything i just want to get one thing from a clinic and yes. that just might be maybe it's maybe it's a slogan that you know maybe that's all i get and if i get that that's great Right. Or if it's formations, or if it's plays, or just an idea on how to think about a play too, can okay. be kind of something there too. Okay, let's. You mentioned the slogans, and we'll transition here a little bit into team building. Um, what struck me a lot in your time here is is um, you know you have like the count on me. Yeah. That that's kind of the mantra of this that's, of this that's, team. That's our big one. That's every year we have a sign outside our locker room. You touch that sign. Uh, we say it before every game. We say it at every practice. We say it on the hallways. We say when I walk by, if I just said count, the players say on me. Right. I mean, it's and it's ingrained. It started, you know, I, when I came here, I had a great senior class that first year who bought in, and ever since then, everyone's bought yeah. in. So that's 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 our big one. That's the main number one is count right. on me, and that really comes down to counting on me you know, in practice, in games, in um, in school, doing the right thing in community, um, not going out partying, not doing any of that stuff. So it's not just counting me to know the play, it's counting me to pass right. my classes, to not get in trouble, not do the wrong things to do. Yeah. And even the cheerleaders have kind of gotten that, where they get the crowd involved with that. Yeah, I, um, I love that. I love that. Um, it's not just a football team. I love that other people kind of buy into it too. Right. You talk about community, and so it builds that school community. 
And you know what I've noticed in high school sports in recent years is there are fewer and fewer students who show up to games and you'd love to have that. You want to have that support. Yeah. Even if you're not a football fan, come and support you know, your classmates and everything else yes. for what they're doing because if you're in band or drama or whatever, maybe they'll come and watch you. Yeah, you know. and, and everyone that's doing their whatever their program they're in, they're working hard at it. Yeah. And they, they deserve that recognition. And you know, for the band, for the pet band that comes to play for football, I make sure to go to a band and um, we hopefully get our players to go to a band concert or two throughout the year and definitely thank thank them for coming and right. supporting us like that yeah so the like the count on me and then you have some each year you kind of have a different yeah um, we have a yearly slogan too. each year too and where did this idea come from i mean we see colleges do stuff like that and everything but you know so count on me i had in high school so okay. we had we we touched the banner too and that's something that you know i don't know if it stuck with everyone that went to my high school but it stuck with me it stuck with um me for sure and then the yearly slogan just something that i think makes sense it's instead of you know when you do our logo for the year instead of putting 2022 we put we before me um so i that kind of tells you that that year that was the focus you know and it sometimes it's based on how did last year go and what needs to change that might be how the slogan goes mm -hmm. it might be sometimes it's something i heard someone say and it really resonates you know like my very first year was don't quit till zero and that was just because Stefan Diggs had a game-winning <laughs> touchdown right, catch right, yeah. against the Saints. Oh, and at the ESPY Awards, he talked about not going until zero. And I was like, oh, that I like yeah, that. Right. And that, that became right. it. It was, you know, it was sometimes as simple as that. And sometimes it's something like, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe uh, the past year was really tough and we got to fix how we're doing something. So now we have a slogan that means a lot more. And some years I have a slogan ready the day after the season ends. And some years it's not quite till we get a little bit closer to the season. Right. I'm going to have to go watch that. Uh, highlight of Stefan Diggs never gets old watching him score that touchdown <laughs> yeah. against New Orleans in the playoffs so uh, and the kids are buying in yes I, I hear this and you know what what struck me a couple weeks ago Wyatt Grosskreutz was on the program talking about rehabbing his injuries and his hope to be back he's he's got some timelines where he hopes to be back but constantly in our interview I heard him talk about going to the weight room and we are getting better and we are doing this and that pronoun usage of we yeah. I mean, Wyatt's a guy, he's bought in from day one. Yeah. And uh, and that's what strikes me of when I hear the players say those things, you know, even when it's, we're not even talking about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and Wyatt, Wyatt's one, he was just announced as captain today. Awesome. He'll be a captain of the team. And he was, and he was integral on we before me. He was, he might've been the first player I said, I think this might be our slogan next year. And instantly his face of him is like, yeah, that's, that's, that should be the slogan. Yeah. We before me, uh, we as a team. And that's really, that's. You know what we we just talked about at practice you know half hour ago is you know right now we're looking great we're a we team right now and if we keep that i think we're gonna have a great year yeah right when you and, and i want to ask you this too so i'm gonna i'm gonna segue again a little bit we look at a kid like wyatt you know and he's hurt and he won't be back until maybe sometime in september beginning of october hopefully um but he's on the sidelines and i'm sure he's helping and he's he's coaching and everything else like that do you see in a kid like that hey here's the potential where this could be somebody who coaches down the line. Oh, yeah. I'm, I am already penciled Wyatt, and I hope he comes oh. coaches with me one day. <laughs> okay. I think okay. He, he has a good chance to play college football. Kind of depends on what he does decide to do in college, and I, I can see that happening. Uh, I can see it. I mean, he's a great kid. I, I yeah. think we can agree you could see a lot of things happening yeah, for him. Right. But, yeah, there's definitely a couple of players you just know, like, I think you're going to coach one day, and I think you're going to make a good coach. And there's, you know, other players that they do what you tell them to do, and that's because that's all they know. So you kind of know they probably aren't going to make it as yeah. a coach type thing. Right. Definitely there's some players that you know, and you know I've, I've got some that have graduated I've already talked to that are looking forward to when they graduate. They want to either be a volunteer, if they can you know, get in that realm, they would love to coach too. Yeah. How do we develop? Because 
this is a program in all sport or problem in all sports is we just don't have enough people who want to coach how do we you know encourage these young people and others to kind of pursue that path i think it really comes down to you know i coached because i had great coaches so i think you got to take it on on yourself to be that mentor you have to take it on yourself that you i you know it means a lot to me if i had any players that were coaching i think that would be a huge thing if i could say you know i know this guy is coaching at whatever high school because i had an impact on him same thing with even young coaches I bring in. If as long as they're staying, you know, I've I've started to have a coaching tree now. I think that's yeah, it's kind right. of I don't want to be egotistical, but I think it's kind of cool that the idea of you know a player that co played for you and a coaches or coach that coached for you and coached, you know, and you gotta have to you have to be able to be a mentor. You have to be a positive person, and you have to make sure the game is fun in every realm. Right. So it can't just be fun because you play it. It's got to be fun. The whole thing is fun. You know. The, the idea of watching film to figure stuff out can't be a chore. It has to be something you care about doing. So if you're a coach, you know I don't get to play football anymore. Yeah. You know I talk to the guys and we'll talk. Like we have, um, like we have a rule when they go to the county fair, they're allowed one greasy food a day because oh. they're trying to stay healthy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I don't have that rule because I don't get to play yeah. in the lights. It doesn't matter <laughs> if I'm healthy. Uh, so kind of some things like that, but like. You know, you have to love the game so much that you don't have to play to love it still. You yeah. just want to be around the game. A lot, you know, as a former coach and also as an official, a lot of us talk sometimes about, you know, you get, to, you get to that point, I can't play anymore. How can I still be invested in the game that I love? And coaching is one way. Um, I, one of my fondest memories is uh, when my daughter played basketball here and played for Coach Annika Peterson, who I coached back in the day. And that's just kind of a cool, you know, yeah, here's somebody that, that played for me, worked hard, now she's coaching and I have every confidence yeah. because I know I see some of the things that she maybe gained, you know, going through the program. Yeah. Just to see that advancement, that right. um, skill gain and um, development. Right. Do we, you know, um, one of the things we see with, with coaches leaving the profession stuff is, is they have issues with parents. Um, you're a communicator. I assume that's how you kind of, you know, if there's, parents will complain at some point, but you just communicate yes. to try to take care of and, any issues. And I've been extremely fortunate. I've not had any issues for, well, since I've been here for five years for sure. I, um, it's been rare for me so far. And I think, I think um, just getting out ahead of it been the biggest thing is I communicate on how I want to talk about things like that, if it's playing time or discipline and how that goes. And um, I have certain rules, like I don't answer the phone after nine o'clock at night. Right. I'm not talking about playing time yeah. at 10 p.m. It <laughs> yeah. just won't happen. Um, you know, and I also I don't talk about playing time unless the player talked first, because that's that was one of the biggest things I saw right away is there's parents that wanted their kid to play more, but that kid knew he wasn't going to play more because he didn't work hard enough. Yeah, and he was fine with it. Yep. But the parent wasn't, <laughs> and that, that's just a no-win situation because the kid's not going to work hard enough to play, but the parents mad at the coach for not playing. Right. So just uh, the communication has to happen for that. Yeah, absolutely. Mark Kruger is with us on Whatever Flips Your Waffle, head coach of the NRHEG Panther football team. Uh, football season is right around the corner. We're, we're kind of getting there. Um, you know, you talked about the levels of, of contact and everything. So when are you at level five? I mean, how soon before your first game, which is a Thursday night this year? It is. So next week, so we go a full week before any actual full contact. The next okay. week in practice, you can't actually, level five is full contact. You're not really supposed to do that in practice. Okay. But you can do that in the, we have a scrimmage next Saturday. So we're four, which is wrap up thud and just try not to go to the ground. Right. Essentially is what okay. we're at for contact level next week. 
And then really, you know, as a philosophy, as a coach, we never go full contact. Okay. I, you know, I think of it as I don't want injuries. Like I, I hate to see an injury in practice. Mm-hmm. That just seems awful to me. And I also think as a team, when I hold everyone back from going full contact, we hit that much harder come Friday night or Thursday night. Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask is that that doesn't, I, I haven't seen that impact, you know, on game night. They're still hitting. They're still, you know. I don't think it hurts, and everybody's under the same rules anyway, um, for some to some degree. But even the pros, they're very limited in what they do, yeah. and, and the injuries part of that is, uh, yeah, that is the worst thing in the world when your own teammates hurts you. Yeah, and and I, I do think I see other teams that go more contact in the year, you know, weekly practice, and I see their, you know, they have a player that played Friday against you know whoever, and then when they play us, they're not playing, and it probably happened in practice. And right. we, it's rare for us. Yeah. I think that's huge, and I do think for as little contact we have in the week, we're still one of the hardest hitting teams on in, in the district, and that right. makes a big difference. Right, and there's so much more safety. Like helmets have come a long way um, for preventing concussions and things like that, and it's really just technique, isn't it? I mean, if you tackle the right way, yep, you should avoid it's, those types. It's all technique where you put everything, and it, it shouldn't happen. You know, and a helmet can't guarantee you won't get a concussion, but it's definitely a better helmet than even when I played. Yeah. I remember the old. The water bladder type helmets right. and the styrofoam inside right. the helmets to <laughs> what we have now is just completely different. Yeah, um, you've had some turnover in, in your coaching staff this year. Um, longtime assistant coach Dewey Ferber has retired from coaching after thirty some years of doing it. So um, I've tried to convince him he should come up in the booth with me and and hang out and uh, give me a word of the game all the time. But um, now you transition in new coaches. Um, that's just as much of a teaching process it is. too to kind of get them built up on the program. It is, and I was fortunate one of our coaches been with me for five years went from JV offense to now varsity defense, but he's been around for five years so it's an easy transition and a couple of new coaches joining the program but yeah, it's, um, and I was big for our clinics to spend time together, talk about how things are going to change and, and um, when you go to the team camp in Bemidji it's as much as it is the players getting ready it's coaches getting ready. Okay. It's, you know, I'm playing calling, and I'm not necessarily play calling for, you know, maybe a scrimmage that's third and three, but I might be calling a play because I really want to see how this goes against this look and yeah. different things like yeah. that. And it's, you know, I need to get my play calling down. It's, you know, I, I think it's kind of a skill that you 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 build as you go throughout the year and you go throughout and you go all offseason low calling plays. You kind of have to build that back up, just like right. the football players have to build their skills yeah. back up too. Well, it's just like if you if you're the quarterback and you don't pick up that football at any time until you know, summertime, it'll show, just like any sport. Um, Coaching is much the same way. And, and, um, yeah, so like you say, your your play calling when you get to October is probably different than it was in the beginning because you got a really good feel for what your guys can do. Yeah. And and you've built up and seen a lot of film on what other teams are doing and, and, and game plan. So when you're game planning, you know, you guys play on a Thursday night, a Friday night, and um, when do you start planning for the night? right away uh watching film and stuff like that kind of putting a game plan together you know a a typical week so you play that friday um you get film uploaded and set usually by saturday morning hopefully um i always watch i watch our game friday night after we play i i don't fall asleep until i watched the game (laughs) so you know and and sometimes the computer's not working so i'm staying up till 3 a.m but I, i i can't sleep unless i watch the game right so that's my first thing is i watch the game friday night saturday i get film going and that's usually kind of a family day. We try to not do too much film on that. And then it's Sunday afternoon. You know, if the Vikings are playing well, I watch the Vikings. If they're not, I start filming. Okay. Usually at halftime if it's a bad game. And 
it's it's watching our film, seeing what went well, and then I start looking at what can I get on the other team's film. We get their last game for sure, and then in, if I can find anything else online, I watch that, and I'm just starting building up the scouting report, building up their tendencies. What do you know they do? What do you, what do you what do I expect them to do? Especially if you know the hardest one is when you're playing a team that just played a team that looks nothing like you. Right. You know if they run an offense with three running backs and we run spread. I don't know what their defense is going to do because their defense will look different depending on what you know the formations. So it's you know trying to guess a lot of guesswork in that, and it's you know hopefully educated guesswork to figure okay. out what you think the other team's going to do. And then Monday is when we turn around, and that's when we present everything to the players and try to take my hours and hours of film watching and get into a thirty-minute right. thing for them because yeah. they can't sit and watch well, hours no. of film like no. I can. Probably parts of it, yeah. so they especially their own of. Um, hey, here's what you did here. So yeah. you mix that a little bit, some of your own, some of the other teams. Yeah, we start film. with a little bit of our own, you know, and kind of depends on depends on the game. You know, if it was a great game, we don't watch a ton of film because we don't have a lot to fix. Right. And if it was an awful game, sometimes we don't watch it either because it's too much to fix <laughs> yeah. or it's, right. you know, it's just didn't, things didn't work, so we're going to go back to the drawing board and forget about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and then it's kind of that middle ground of a, you know, you might have won, but you won by a touchdown, and there's some things we could have done then it might be a little bit more film on that last okay. game. All right. So when you look at the first game of the season, hardest to game plan for? Because Definitely you, the hardest. you have no idea. Yeah. I mean, you may have some idea, especially if it's so the same it, coach. and We'll get um, film of their scrimmage, and we'll send film of our scrimmage. Okay. Which, you know, and, and last year, the film of the scrimmage I got, their, their um, camera wasn't working, so it was from a phone <laughs> from a person standing behind the running back. Oh. So I don't okay. know. I didn't know any formations. Yeah. I, I did know they lined up with one running back. And I knew they ran the ball some. Okay. And that was that's, that's what we knew of their offense going into the game. Well, I, I think of how far we've come. When I was in high school, I filmed the football team because I didn't play. So I, on the road, I would be up in the crow's nest filming and stuff. And I always wondered, well, I, I, I'm sure they showed that, but that's the old VHS cassettes and stuff. You weren't sending that down the road to other teams. That was a different world, too, to prepare. Well, and it's, it's a little easier now because you have that access. Yeah, I mean, now it's it, we use Huddle. We go online, and I send it. And so I send my film. They send their film. They can't look at my film until I, they send their film anyways. So okay. we can't look early. Um, I do, I mean, my first year's coaching, it was DVDs. But the coaches would call each other up, and they would pick a town about halfway between the two. And they would drive, meet, trade DVDs, and drive home. So that'd be their Saturday morning. Was that driving, could be hard, driving you, an hour or two, or you know, you, depending on, especially small schools, you've got some pretty far away games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're playing a Mayor Lutheran, that's a long ways off. And boy, if you're up north, some of those trips. Yeah. So I'm very, very fortunate that we've got all the online for me now. I've never had to do the the exchange of DVDs right. or VHSs. <laughs> drive down the road and and do that. Um, these Thursday, you have two Thursday night games this year. Two first, Thursday, yeah. first first one, and then the second one I thought isn't too bad because that's a Thursday night, and then the next week is when you play Wednesday. Yep, and then as a district, we plan that. That was okay. We've um, we've been wanting to change because what what will happen is we'll play that Thursday, and then next week we play Wednesday because of our MEA break that right. Thursday Friday off, and the week after we play Tuesday for playoffs. Yep. So really, it it develops a great way to kind of keep us on a schedule as opposed to go Friday, Wednesday, Tuesday. Um, that kind of just gets to be a bit of a drag, especially when you're at a small school with guys playing both ways. Right, yeah. Because that is going to change how you prepare for the game. You have one, one yep. less day and, and, um, and the recovery time yep. and everything too, especially late in the season. Yep. Um, it, it's kind of hard to do. But, okay, so I, I, know, I know some of the games were being moved and we had to move last year like a game to Saturday because yep. of officiating. 
we have shortages there. And we have no guarantee, like we still might have to move some. There might be, we're not 100% sure we have all the officials. We're pretty sure we're all good, but there still could be some changes as we, right. we need officials that bad. We, we do, we do. And I, you know, watching you on the sideline, um, I don't see you get real upset or after the officials too much. If you do, boy, we know something really was, yeah, was right. off. And I've seen that a few times, but you're treating the officials with respect because they got a job to do and they're not perfect. Yep. Um, and that's why we have an off switch on my microphone up in the booth because we see that they're not perfect sometimes too, but they do the best they can. They, and, they and, do. And yeah. I, I make a point and I, um, if I go too far, I apologize. I think, I think as a staff, we've always been pretty good. I, I got to go one time I was a little too mad and it is what it is. And I, I apologize as soon as I could. And I think that's something, you know, I think as a coach, I have to set an example. Because if, if I'm going to belittle the officials, I can't get mad at my players for doing it. Right. They're going to do what I do. So when I show them respect, I expect my players to show them yeah. respect too. And the reality of nobody wants a 15-yard penalty either. Oh. Um, because if you're mad, it, it could be a crucial part of the part of the game. And and um, But yeah, we do need those officials. And we always try to uh, encourage these younger guys too to do that too. Yes. Um, be part of the game. Uh, you make good money doing it. And, um, and you still get to be part of the game. It's yeah, that's after our after our um, Saturday game last year. That's the first thing I said in film is, hey, we played on Saturday because we didn't have an officials for Friday. So you seniors or you guys when you graduate, think about that. There's people give me younger that might have to play Saturdays or Thursdays because you don't have officials, or you could become officials and you can yeah. help with that. Or you know when when my kids complain about officials, I hope you better you better become an official then. Yeah. If you're gonna complain that they weren't didn't do a good enough job, I hope you replace them. Yeah. I hope you uh, take that upon yourself to learn how to be an official and do that because you it sounds like you think you do a good job of it if you're right. gonna complain about how bad they were. Yeah. Well, I know working with young umpires, um, I, I hear that a lot of. I'm never gonna complain about an umpire again. Yep. This is hard. Yeah. It's hard in any sport. Yeah. Um, and I know. Hey, if they ever want to come back. Uh, Dan Stork, our AD, is always looking for officials. You know, start at the younger levels. Yep. Start at junior high, work with the, um, you know, the, the middle school levels, and and you learn a lot. And and uh, they even let guys like me do it. So uh, anybody can do it. Uh, Mark Kruger is with us. We're talking NRHEG Panther football, and uh, I want to look at the season here too. Uh, we got some transition, and yet it, it's what you always hope for. You have some people coming back that are really key parts of your team. And then there are other parts, like quarterback, where things are changing due to graduation. Yeah, we are, um, we're very fortunate. We have a few three- and four-year starters coming back. I mean, we talked about Wyatt earlier. Wyatt's going to be a four-year starter yeah. on our offensive line. As a freshman, Unreal. he was starting at offensive line where all the biggest, strongest players yeah. play. We had to put him out there as a freshman. So, and that's, you know, and that, that's why I think he's going to be a great coach. He's got so much experience there. And um, he's, he's a coach right now. He's hurt, so he's, he's as much a coach as anyone, I think, because right. he, he knows... He knows the blocking scheme as well as any other person on the team. Yeah, and the kids relate to him. They do very well. Yeah, and, you know, and then Andrew Phillips, a three-year starter at running back, played a little bit as a freshman too. That's that's a nice thing to bring back. And then it turns into we also have a fresh uh, sophomore quarterback who's never played varsity before, right. kind of stepping in. So it's definitely a mix of you know experience and some young guys who I think can step up. Right, and and um, you know. You probably lean on the running game a little bit more when you have a younger quarterback. Um, you have the size up front we do. Um, to block, and, and Andrew is a special talent at running back, too. And um, He's not allowed to go play college football, though, of course, because he's going to play college baseball. But, um, but you still have to have passing. You have to keep defenses. You have to keep them honest. You have to, yeah. be, able, you have to, be, um, you have, to have 
both. You can't rely on one. I, as a coach, I've always kind of been a 50-50 guy. I think you should um, run 50% past 50%. That might might change, especially if you've got a better running back. But I've also we've also seen ourselves probably pass more than most teams in the area, just being small schools. We've been we've been blessed with quarterbacks in my in my years. I've had three different quarterbacks, all who can really throw the ball well. Yeah, and this will be my fourth, I think. Right, and having receivers too that can get open, and the confidence of your quarterback to throw the ball and know his guy's going to go get it. Um, that's key too because you got to have that speed out there and and working hard. So you know, we left Bemidji our team camp and you know the coaches we were talking are like we're really fast, we're really big, we're really strong. That's all. That's, that's yeah. a lot of the things right. we need for football. Right. We're yeah. we're really excited about how the season's going to go because you keep looking at what we have and you know I I was a little worried coming in because I thought we lost a lot, but just the players that we bring back and the players stepping up into positions at the size we have and the speed we have. It's hard to say you're the biggest team and the fastest team. That usually right. doesn't happen. I no. think I think we might match up and be the biggest and the fastest a lot okay. this year. Okay. Defensively, any big changes? Or I mean, you're, you're having some of the same ideas there, but personnel is a little different. You know, defensively, especially with Coach Ferber retire, and we've changed more this year than any other year. Um, a lot of new fronts. You know, as an offense, our idea was to have a lot of formations, and I've kind of decided that to be our defense too. We okay. should have a lot of fronts, so we run the same defense we just look different every time okay and that really can help us you know you know player a is still going to you know whatever spot but he's lining up at a different spot so it's a different path to get there but we um, everyone knows what they're doing still it's just the offense okay. it's a lot harder for the offense to know what we're going to do oh okay and like you said with coach fox moving into that role as defensive calling defense and he knows these kids and he knows yeah. their abilities really well from all his time in the program too um I always like to touch on the things that people don't always think about, but uh, you also graduated your kicker uh, in Ben Shane Rock. Not only our kicker, a four-year starter at kicker. Yes. I have never had a – he's the only kicker I've ever had as a varsity coach. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so to replace that is important It's part of the process, It's a too. huge thing, especially when it's we're, – we're doing tryouts every day, trying to figure out who's – I mean, Ben was our kicker, our punter, our field goal kicker. So, I mean, that's all yeah. in one spot. and. And to be honest, the guy I thought was going to do it actually got hurt. So oh, okay. not only is he gone, his backup is gone. So it's kind of go right back to the drawing board. Right. And we've played around, and I've played around with some rugby-style kicks and, <laughs> and different things like that. And might be going for two a lot more this year, maybe not kicking field goal. I mean, we had a kicker who he could kick a 30, 40-yard field goal. Right. I mean, we, we did. We, we were a small, you know, small school that could kick field goals. That's kind of rare in Minnesota. And it changes how you play the game changes the strategy. Um, you know, for years and years, way long ago, Maple River would have kids. I watched a kid kick a 48-yard field goal to beat us as time expired one year, and I thought, this isn't high school right. football. Yep. But it, it changes how you, fourth and two on the 15, yep. you can maybe go out there and kick a field goal instead yep. of, you know. Or even, you know, that third and six, you know, now I'm gonna look at third and six, so I just need to get three yards, because I'll go for it on fourth and three. Whereas, you know, before I'd be like, well, I'm going for a touchdown because yeah. they're expecting me, you know, and right. just some different things like that yeah. where, you know, you don't, you might not have that in your back pocket to be able to kick it, but maybe that helps be more aggressive. Okay. Maybe with the check if any of our kids play on the Waseca soccer team and come down and <laughs> do a little kick. And <laughs> I have, it's, it's I have already looked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so when you look at, I can't, still can't use saying saying district. Um, you look at that, do you, do you count us among the favorites? Who else is going to be really good in our district? I think Blooming set themselves apart. You, you can't not look at them as a favorite. Um, 
you know, and you look at GFW, they went my first year, they had their first win in six years, and now mm-hmm. they're a, a perennial state team. Right. Like I've kind of been fortunate to watch them grow. I mean, they're going to be a solid team, and St. Clair will beat us in the playoffs. I think they'll be a pretty good team as well. So that kind of comes our district. And I do think we're right in the mix with all that, okay. especially with what we have right now. You know, just hard not to say Blooming's a favorite when they won the district last year. They've won state. They won like their, their top program. Yeah. And then with the district, they also have the section, and then you have a Maple River or a rival who we don't play in the season. But to get to state, you got to play them in the playoffs. Right. They'd be another favorite too. Right. So so strong teams around us too. Very strong. Um, but but you figure we and is the goal always the first goal is we want to win as many games as we can. Let's earn a home playoff game. Yep. First goal, let's play at home, yes. not have to go on the road. And um, we can look forward to hopefully doing that. Um, I'd ret- much rather go to five or six home games yep. uh, in the season much <laughs> that. Than, than only four. You know, really, my, one of my biggest goals is, especially in the state of Minnesota, how we set up our playoffs, I view section championships as extremely meaningful. Mm-hmm. I want to win as many section championships as I want because I think all eight teams that go to state that's that's a huge achievement right you know it's, it's pretty rare to get to say you went to state yeah you know and I obviously I want to win a state tournament but you know my my number one goal let's win a section championship yep. let's win those let's be the best in our area and we'll play with the best of the best and see where we're at right. and there. you were able to do that your first season here and uh, for a team that since the consolidation of our district had never been yeah. um, to state it was, it was fantastic for everybody here uh, and we hope that we can celebrate uh, many right. more of those hopefully uh, down the stretch mark kruger nrheg head football coach thanks for joining us this week on the program thank you and now it's time for the state of minnesota sports last week i brought up the minnesota golden gophers football program uh briefly and uh coach pj fleck continues to get his team ready for their september 1st debut at home pleased to tell you that we'll have a guest on next week to give us a full preview of Gopher football in depth and everything you want to know about the Golden Gophers' chances in the Big Ten this season. Last week we had Trey Wicks on. We talked about the Vikings pretty extensively and uh, looked at their first preseason game. Well, the second preseason game against the San Francisco 49ers, not nearly as fun to watch. Even though the Vikings had lost against the Raiders, you saw signs of life. You saw things from Kellen Mond that maybe he was ready to take hold of the backup quarterback position. We saw some things from you know some of these guys like a Ty Chandler um, who did really well. And about the only person who was a little bit more... Well, there were two guys that were kind of consistent um, when it came to the Vikings' second preseason game. Um, one was Asamoa, and he did a nice job in there again, you know, making some plays from the linebacker position. Um, and other than, you know, him being out there and hoping for some things from, um, you know, those backup quarterbacks, wasn't a lot to be excited about. And, uh, in fact, the Vikings went out and got a new backup quarterback, traded for Nick Mullins from the Raiders, gave up a seventh-round draft pick. Who cares? Uh, That's probably not the end of the world, seventh-round type of a thing. Uh, Nick Mullins comes in, and what sure seemed to, to be the idea that, hey, he's here because he's going to be the backup quarterback. We've seen Sean Mannion. He's... He was never the answer. 
Um, we saw that last year against the Packers when he was forced into duty when Kirk Cousins had COVID. Um, Kellen Mond, maybe someday. I mean, he, he regressed a lot. He made some poor throws. And, you know, if you were watching the game or listening to the game, it sure seemed like um, Paul Allen was trying to hype up, you know, the idea that <clears throat> that was a really tough throw that he made there. No, these were throws that professional quarterbacks should make in the NFL. And so goody for him if he made it because he's supposed to make those throws. But two really bad interceptions from Mond uh, and just a lot of difficulty. Now, again, 49ers, um, a better defense, perhaps than the Raiders, even though they didn't have the starters out there playing. You know, the teams had done their joint practices throughout the week, and that's when the starters were out there, you know, really doing things and, and getting their work in. But still, you kind of expected to see something, you know, from Mond, even even after that. Again, you don't have, uh, you don't have, you know, the guys you would normally count on uh, you know to be able to throw the ball to run the ball obviously having Delvin Cook and having Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen uh, makes a big difference but at the end of the day you're still playing against people who are probably on the same level as you if all all the second string guys are in there you should at least be able to do something against them because if you can't against them what are you going to do if you're thrown into a game situation. So Nick Mullins comes over. Uh, we'll see if he plays in the final preseason game against Denver. I suppose it'll depend. He's, he's familiar with the system a little bit. Um, uh, he's been in San Francisco and in Cleveland, and he's, he's kind of got an understanding of this offense. Um, I, I would guess the Vikings would like to throw him out there just to kind of confirm their, yeah, this is going to be our guy. Now we'll see what happens with um, Mannion and with Mond. If you're going to cut them, if you're going to keep three quarterbacks, uh, would they be able to make it through waivers and, and put like a Kellen Mond on the practice squad? That'd be a good place for him just in case. You know, he has that kind of thing. Who knows? I mentioned um, two players that really stood out consistently, and Asamoah was one. T.Y. McGill is the other. There's a name you really hadn't heard much. Here's a guy who defines journeyman player. He's been all over the place um, over his eight years in the league, <clears throat> but he continues to kind of be a force defensively, and he's got a bunch of sacks, three and a half sacks now in, in two preseason games. That's pretty good. And again, you're not playing against all the starters, um, although in the first preseason game, you know, some of the starting offensive line for the Raiders. So McGill is out there trying to make names say, hey, I want to be part of this thing. Uh, he wasn't on anybody's radar when it comes to in the preseason that here's a guy who can make this roster, but 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 maybe he is now. Maybe he's showing the coaching staff uh, the right things. It, but, you know, it's so hard to tell from preseason games. You look, too, at this. Albert Wilson catches two touchdown passes in the first preseason game against the Raiders. He gets cut this past Monday. Um, that, I think, is more an idea of, hey, we have our main guys. We've got Jefferson and Thielen and K.J. Osborne. And we've got all these other younger guys, and Wilson's not a young guy, and we don't feel like we need this veteran presence or anything like that. Um, so best of luck to Elver Wilson. Two touchdown catches. Um, nice to know you. Um, good luck finding another job somewhere. And he probably will. He'll pick up with somebody um, on some roster because uh, there aren't that many uh, great wide receivers, and so you fill in with people who have some experience and uh, can give you some reps out there on the field. So the Vikings will play the Denver Broncos in Denver on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. 
And, uh, you know, again, you're not going to see starters out there. You're not going to see those kinds of things. Really, the storyline will be, uh, will Nick Mullins play? And what will we see out of him that will help define that he might very well be the backup quarterback? Again, a position we hope we don't have to worry about. Kirk Cousins, um, you know, being as durable as he has been. But you want to have that. And to me, this is also a sign that the Vikings think, hey, we... uh, we are a contender this year. Otherwise, why are you trading for a backup quarterback if you don't think that you have some kind of a chance, um, you know, to make something happen here this season? So uh, that remains to be seen. It'll be fun to watch, and uh, we'll be ready to go for the regular season starting after this Saturday. Your Minnesota Twins, disappointing is the best word for this past week. It's tough because you, they sweep the Kansas City Royals. Hey, good, now we're back on track. Now, here we go. This is the way it's going to be. And then they lose three out of four to the Texas Rangers. And at home, of all places, you know, you can always make a little bit of an excuse on the road, but when you're at home um, and you lose three out of four to a team that has fired their coach, fired their general manager, uh, it, it just doesn't look good right now. Byron Buxton left Monday night's game, hip injuries. Um, by the time you listen to this, probably it'll be a little more clear, though uh, Rocco had talked about he certainly wouldn't play Tuesday and the way he hinted uh, he might miss the entire Houston Astros series with that hip tightness. Uh, this is looking like a disaster mode right now. We talked about the games that they have to win to stay in contention, and now you're going to Houston, a team that swept you at home earlier in the season. And who are we throwing out there for pitchers? Well, Tuesday night, was going to be Aaron Sanchez called up to do some duty. Uh, Dylan Bundy on Wednesday and Chris Archer on Thursday. Wow. Um, guys that you wouldn't expect to see in a playoff series if you ended up there and got to see the Houston Astros. But you're going to go try to win ball games down there um, against guys like Verlander and Valdez and Garcia who are all having great seasons. And it just it's unbelievable. There just doesn't seem to be a passion. There doesn't seem to be an ability to, to hit a baseball when there's a runner on base. Uh, there are runners in scoring position average this year is well touted that is just so bad. And, you know, the one guy who seems to come through in situations is Jose Miranda, who's, who's a rookie. But what are you going to do here? What are you going to do down the stretch? You're, you're playing, um, you know, the Houston Astros. That's not an easy game uh, series there. Um, you've got San Francisco and, and Boston coming up. Again, teams that are also fighting for their playoff lives. And how are you going to handle these sorts of situations? Cleveland not going away. The Chicago White Sox are not going away. And, um, you know, you can't afford to fall that far back before you get to September and you're playing those teams in a hope that, you know, hey, maybe we can get hot, maybe we can – uh, make things happen um, against those teams when the when it really counts. You know, they need to get people healthy. Obviously, Buxton needs to get healthy. Uh, Kyle Garlick sounds like he'll be back later this week. Another bench that can maybe hit a left-handed pitcher every now and then. But that, that consistency, you know, there was an interesting article in the Star Tribune by Jim Suhan um, on Tuesday that talked about maybe Correa is playing himself into uh, – Sticking with the Twins next year, who's going to pay this guy the kind of money he's looking for when he's had a pretty subpar season? He's doing decent. He's doing fine. He's not doing $35 million worth. And I keep hearing about his um, 
his leadership and everything, he's always out in the mound during pitching conferences. Uh, he talks to guys, and they really like him. That's great. A leader's going to kick these guys in the rear end and get them going. A leader's going to show them how it's done. He's going to go out there and get big hits. I don't. It's frustrating when he'll have a 3-0 and count. You should be dead red on a, on a fastball down the middle of the plate, and he always lets it go. It's Joe Maurer-like almost. Uh, swing the bat, hit the ball. Don't do things the way you've always done them because it's, it's certainly not working right now. Uh, do I sound frustrated? Of course I do. You know, the Twins' pitching has been so much better lately, and, and that was the problem earlier. Now we can't hit. You know, when Sonny Gray gives up two runs and you can't win a ball game um, and he takes the loss, that's frustrating. Uh, when Joe Ryan pitches well and you can't score runs, that's frustrating. What are you going to do? The Twins need to find solutions in a hurry. Um, there's nobody sitting down in AAA that's going to come up and help them right now. they got to figure this out on their own. And um, I'm just afraid that when we meet again next week, uh, we're going to talk about an even bigger deficit in the American League Central for your Minnesota Twins. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On August 24th in 1980, Manager Gene Mock resigned after the Twins' 3-2 loss to Detroit. He was replaced by John Gorrell in an interim role. Mock went on, of course, to manage the California Angels for a while after that. In 1981, on August 24th, Kent Herbeck hit a home run in the 12th inning of his very first Major League Baseball game to give the Twins a 3-2 win over the Yankees in New York. In 1992, on August 24th, the Cleveland Browns had their worst preseason loss ever to our Vikings, 56-3. Not that it matters in the preseason, but that was a good sign for the Vikings that year. In 2018, on August 24th, the Twins lost to the A's, but Joe Maurer passed Rod Carew for second place on the all-time hits list for the Twins with hit number 2086. In first place sits Kirby Puckett. On August 25th, in 1967, Dean Chance threw his second no-hitter of the month in a 2-1 win over Cleveland, who actually scored a run on a wild pitch, of all things, after a runner had walked and there was an error. Uh, Of course, we look at it perhaps as a second no-hitter officially. The first one was not recognized. It only went five innings and then was called due to the weather. You have to pitch nine innings to get credited with a no-hitter. In 1970, on August 25th, there was a bomb threat at Met Stadium during the Red Sox 1-0 win. During the time period when they had to put things on pause, fans gathered in the parking lot and also in center field of all places. On August 26th, in 1962, the Twins' Jack Kralik no-hit the Kansas City A's 1-0. The only run scored on a sacrifice fly for the Twins. The perfect game by Kralik was ruined by a ninth-inning walk, but that was the first ever no-hitter for the Twins. In 2021, on August 26th, the Red Sox' Chris Sale threw an immaculate inning in a 12-2 win over the Twins. Remember, an immaculate inning is nine pitches, all strikes, all strikeouts. The Twins, at that point, have been the only team in Major League Baseball to never be involved in one, so they finally were, but they and the Texas Rangers have never thrown an immaculate inning. 
On August 27th in 1975, the Twins' Craig Kusick tied in Major League Baseball record by being hit by pitch three times in a game in a one to nothing win in Milwaukee in 11 innings. There are a lot of people who share that record. On August 28th in 1976, Toronto beat the Minnesota Kicks to win the North American Soccer League Championship. Remember the Kicks? I do. I didn't pay much attention to soccer, but I remember them coming to New Ulm one time when I was young and getting some autographs and having no idea who these people were. In 2008, on August 28th, the Twins acquired relief pitcher John Rauch from Arizona. That was an exciting time. He was a pretty good reliever, filled that back end of the bullpen role at least for a while. Also that date, sod installation was completed at Target Field as we started moving toward that 2010 uh, opening day. On August 29th in 1961, the Twins won over 1 million fans for the year in their first season here in Minnesota in a 3 to nothing win over the Yankees. After the game, everybody could take their ticket stubs, put them in a big drum, and three of them were randomly drawn to give away new cars to celebrate 1 million fans. In 1996, on August 29th, the Twins traded Dave Hollins to the Mariners for David Ortiz. And, of course, we would release Ortiz years later. Red Sox would pick him up, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. So the Mariners had a shot at him, too. In 2014, on August 29th, Trevor Plouffe hit a home run for the Twins in a 9-1 to loss in Baltimore. However, the importance of that home run it was the 10,000th home run if you combine the Minnesota Twins and the Washington Senators' history. On August 30th in 1987, Kirby Puckett went 6-for-6 six six against the Brewers in a 10-6 win. He set a Major League Baseball record with 10 hits in two games. I remember watching those games on TV back in the time when he didn't really get a chance to watch a lot of the Twins on television. On August 30th in 2007, the official groundbreaking for Target Field. Shovels in the ground. An exciting time in Minnesota. For our local listeners, this week in New Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva Sports. It's fun to say that again. We have some events for our student-athletes. On August 26th, cross-country will start the season at Faribault. Welcome to new cross-country and uh, cross-country coach and band director, Colin Zidlicki. He has taken over that program. And August 30th, the volleyball team will be at Alden Conger. Welcome to Ashley Toltzman. She is the new varsity volleyball coach at NRHEG. Don't forget, when we get to the home games, we'll talk about the streaming services uh, where you can watch and, if you want, listen to the Waffle Flipper, give you a little play-by-play as well. Well, that'll do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to spend an hour here with me, and I hope you'll continue to tune in each Wednesday at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode replays every evening on 365sportscast.com. Don't forget you can download the app for your phone as well and listen wherever you are. Shows also archived to YouTube and Spotify. Remember, if you have some thoughts, if you think you might make a good guest on the show, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Next week, we'll dive back into the world of Minnesota sports. The Gophers will be getting ready for their season opener in Minneapolis. The Vikings will be closing in on theirs as well, and the Twins will be gearing up for the stretch run as we head towards September. 
I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup. <laughs>